Heavenly Father, we do come before you and ask that you would teach us, O Lord, to follow your decrees. And then we will keep them to the end. If we know your law, we will know how to live for your glory. So, Lord, teach us this morning by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been working our way through the book of John and we've looked at John 7 and we've come now into John chapter 8 where Jesus is still teaching in the temple. He's still teaching at the temple during a particular time. He's taught previously during the time of the Passover. Then there was a six-month break and then he has come to the Feast of Tabernacles. He's come up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. We saw that at the beginning of John chapter 7. And he continues to teach there in the temple courts. We see that down in verse 20, that what he has been saying that we're looking at today was spoken during in the temple area. Verse 20 of John chapter 8, it says, He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. So Jesus has been teaching a number of things in the temple area during the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And he now teaches one thing in particular that we're going to be looking at today, and that is that he is the light of the world. We see that in verse 12 of John chapter 8, page 1059. Look with me now, John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does Jesus mean here, that he is the light of the world? Well, I think if we to understand what he's getting at, we need to understand the circumstances in which he is proclaiming that he is the light of the world. I told you that he's proclaiming this in the temple courts, and he's proclaiming it at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a time that remembered something in Israelite history particularly. What was the Feast of Tabernacles meant to remind the Israelites of? It was meant to remind them of the Exodus, the time that they left Egypt, wandered in the desert, and God brought them through to the promised land. The Feast of Tabernacles was called Tabernacles because uh, the people would actually, part of the way they celebrated it was, to live in temporary dwellings, to live in tabernacles, tents made of branches. So they'd get lots of branches uh, from trees, and they would camp out in booths during this time, to remind themselves of what they once did in the desert, that their forefathers had lived in tents and wandered around in the desert. And there was another way that they remembered their time in the desert was with the water ceremony that we looked at previously when I preached on John chapter 7. We saw that Jesus cried out in the temple courts that those who are thirsty come to him and drink. And he probably did it at the very time when the Israelites we're having a particular water ceremony going on as part of the Feast of Tabernacles, where water was taken from a spring and poured out and people celebrated that God had given water to the people in the desert. How did he give people water in the desert? Well, it was when the, the, the rock was struck and water gushed forth to feed the people, to quench the people's thirst. And so the Israelites were remembering at the Feast of Tabernacles that God, while they lived in tents, provided water for them. And Jesus picked up on that and said, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. And now, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world. And the Israelites remembered something else during the Feast of Tabernacles. 
They remembered a particular way that God lit up their way. What did God do while the Israelites were wandering around in the desert? He guided them with a pillar of fire. And so the Israelites had a ceremony during the Feast of Tabernacles that reminded them of the light that God provided for them to guide them to the promised land. One of the commentators, uh, Burge, speaks of this ceremony that they would go through, and I thought I'd read out what he has to say about the ceremony, the lighting ceremony that took place during the Feast of Tabernacles. He says that four large stands each held four golden bowls. These were placed in the heavily used court of the women. So you've got these 16 golden bowls up on stands. These golden bowls, reached by ladders, so they're very high up, were filled with oil and used the worn-out garments of the priests for wicks. So they used the clothes of the priests for wicks. When they were lit at night... All Jerusalem was illumined. In a world that did not have public lighting after dark, this light shining from Jerusalem's yellow limestone walls must have been spectacular. Choirs of Levites would sing during the lighting while men of piety and good works danced in the streets, carrying torches and singing hymns. On this final day of tabernacles, Jesus is teaching in the treasury located within the court of the women. Notice that in verse 20 it says that he was in the court of the women where the offertories were put, showing that he was right there where these 16 golden bowls were giving off this light. So imagine the scene. In the very court where the lighting ceremony takes place, Jesus stands beneath 16 lit bowls of oil and says that he is not only the true light of Jerusalem, but of the whole world. Jesus proclaims that he is the light of the world while light is being beamed out of the temple in this ceremony. And he says, I am the light of the world. Not the light of the temple, not the light of the desert, the wilderness, which the Israelites wandered through so many years ago, but he is the light of the world. But if God guided the Israelites to the promised land by that light, where does Jesus guide people as the light of the world? Where is he going to guide the world? Well, it's to the eternal life in the promised land, the real promised land, the heavenly Jerusalem. What does he say in verse 12? He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He will have life. He will have eternal life. If he lives by my light, if he walks in my light, he will never walk in darkness. Where is there a place where there is never any more darkness? Heaven itself. The glory of God will shine in heaven. And so if you follow Jesus Christ, you will experience the light of heaven itself coming from the Lamb, coming from God himself. And that is what Jesus is teaching here. He is teaching that if you follow me, you can have eternal life in the true promised land, paradise. Now, what is the response of the Pharisees to this? Jesus proclaims this, picture the scene. They're all making much of the light of the temple, and he calls out, I am the light of the world. What do the, what do the Pharisees say? Verse 13. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. 
They reject Jesus' testimony that he is the light of the world. Why? Because it's only him that testifies. And they have an interpretation of the Jewish law that if you're going to accept the testimony of someone, it must have two or three witnesses and see Jesus, it's all you that's testifying here. So your testimony that you are the light of the world can't be validated by us, and so we reject it. What is the response of Jesus to this? Well, he says his testimony is valid, thank you very much, to the Pharisees. What does he say in verse 14? Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. Now, why does he say that? Why is his testimony valid? He continues, verse 14, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from and where I am going. Jesus is saying he's the light of the world and his testimony is valid that he is the light of the world because of where he has come from and where he is going. Where has Jesus come from? Well, he's come from the Father himself. He's come from heaven. And where is he going? He's going to heaven. Now, if he has come from heaven and is going to heaven, then if his testimony is invalid, it needs to be proved that he didn't come from heaven and he isn't going to heaven. The Pharisees need to prove that he wasn't originally from heaven. But of course they cannot. Why? Because they haven't been to heaven. They didn't see that Jesus wasn't in heaven and they don't know heaven itself. They haven't been to heaven and haven't seen that Jesus isn't going there. And so Jesus rejects their rejection of his testimony. That's what he says in verse 14. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. See, if you're going to testify that someone wasn't actually where they claimed to be, then you need to have seen them somewhere else. If the police say, well, we think that you were out committing a particular crime. And I say, well, I was actually home in bed that night. Well, that's my testimony, and it's a valid testimony. If someone wants to overturn my testimony that I was not home at be- in bed while the crime was committed, they need to see me out and about doing something else in a du- another location altogether. And so if they want to prove that Jesus hasn't come from heaven, they need to know that he wasn't in heaven itself but they can't do that because they're human. They haven't been to heaven. They haven't come from heaven and they haven't gone to heaven. They, don't, they cannot prove that Jesus hasn't come from where he says. In fact, it's a great limitation of us to ever think about origins of anyone, even our own selves. Do you know where you've come from? Do you know where you've come from? As a baby, before you were a baby, do you know where you came from? who you were before you were born? And even as a baby, how much do you remember of your birth, your actual birth? Now, you've been told about your birth by your parents, probably, and you take it on their authority, but you never know. You might have been adopted. You might actually never have been born where they said you were. How much do you know about where you have come from? How much do you know about where you are going? You have plans about where you're going today, But those plans may be ruined. Whereas Jesus knows where he came from and he knows where he is going. Therefore, his testimony that he is the light of the world is valid. 
And we must accept his testimony because we can't defeat it. We can't argue anything to the contrary. It'd be like if an ambassador comes to a king and says he's from a distant country. How does the king know that the ambassador is actually from that country? Particularly if there's no emails, there's no phone calls to be made. How do you know that the ambassador is from that country? You have to accept the ambassador and listen to him, evaluate based on what he says, whether he really is from that country. And that is what is to happen with Jesus. So Jesus' claim that he is the light of the world can't be judged by human standards. And that's what he says in verse 15. You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. They're trying to judge him by human standards. But Jesus is not human in the way that everybody else is. He is the son of God. He is the God man. And so you can't judge him by human standards because of where he has come from and where he is going. So Christ's claim that he is the light of the world is a valid claim. Now, there are other witnesses to his claim that he is the light of the world. And we'll look at those, uh, one of those next time. We'll look at how the Father in heaven is a witness testifying to Christ's claim that he is the light of the world. And there are other witnesses in the Bible, of course. He points out them in John's Gospel. He points out the witness of John the Baptist. He points out the witness of his miracles. He points out the witness of the Scriptures to testify who he is. There are other witnesses to Christ's claim that he is the light of the world. But really, we don't need those. Christ's testimony is enough. The only reason we get other witnesses is because of our weakness and our frailty. Christ's witness is enough. He is the light of the world. And when we look at his light, we should be able to easily accept that he is the light of the world. It's like when the sun rises in the morning. It's been dark, it's overnight. The sun rises in the morning. Do you look at the sun shine that's pouring in through your window and say... Not sure it's sun because I've got no other witnesses to tell me that the sunshine is there. I've got no other witnesses to tell me that the sun is up, that the day has begun. No, you see the sunshine and you get up and go about your day. You don't wait for another witness. It's the same with Jesus Christ. If you look at the light of the world, if you look at Jesus Christ, you can see that he is indeed the one who he claims to be. But why is it important to understand that Jesus is the light of the world. It's because Jesus is the only guiding light to heaven. He guides us to the promised land. He guides us to eternal life. And he alone is the one who guides us there. Many think that they can get to heaven without assistance. They can do it on their own. They don't need the light. They don't need sunshine to guide them to heaven. But what happens to those who go without assistance, pioneering to a land that they've never been to before. They often die. I was fascinated by the Australian pioneers, Burke and Wills, when I was a kid. We had a video of, uh, of their expedition where they uh, went, their, their campaign was from Melbourne up to the Gulf of Carpentaria. They were going to cut through uh, Australia and they had this expedition. No one had been through uh, that land before and they were off and they were going to make it and come back to Melbourne. What happened to Burke and Wills? They died. They never made it there and back. That's what often happened to pioneers. Being a pioneer is hard work. We need guides. 
And there are so many people who have died on the way to heaven, who have sought to make it to the promised land without Jesus Christ. And their bodies are scattered all the way to heaven. We can be guided by Jesus Christ to heaven, or we can trust our own selves that we can make it to heaven without the light of Jesus Christ. Who is more reliable, Jesus Christ or yourself? Speaking for my own self, I recognise that I often make mistakes. often have to confess my mistakes to others. I've erred in something that I've said. I recognise the things that even people don't know about me. I've made mistakes. They don't know about those mistakes and I try to keep them quiet so people have a better impression of me. If you look deep down into your own soul, you see quite quickly you're a person who makes mistakes. But I've been examining Jesus Christ for years, for decades, closely, as proclaimed in the scriptures, and I haven't seen him make an error yet. Sometimes I think that something's a bit off and then I realise that it's me that's made a mistake in my interpretation of what he said. Jesus is a reliable guide. He is the sunshine. If we'll just open our eyes and look at him, we will see that he is indeed true and right and a sure guide to glory. If we want to go to the promised land, you can either trust yourself, who you know makes mistakes, or you can trust Christ, who never makes mistakes. Imagine you're out canoeing on a river through the Amazon rainforest, trying to make it home. Your journey begins at night, and it's a night like you've never seen before. There are no stars, there's no moon, it's pitch black, like being in a cave underground. And you haven't any matches, you haven't torches, you haven't any lanterns. What do you do? Well, you stay at the shore and spend the night in darkness, doing nothing, not trying to travel in the darkness, now, in the morning, when the sun rises and floods the world with light, Jesus has come. When the sun rises, do you get somebody else to testify that the sun has risen before you start in your canoe paddling home? No, you see the light of the sun and you start to move. But sadly, some people, the light of the sun dawns as Christ has dawned upon the world. And what do they do? They put an eye mask, a sleeping eye mask, back over their face. And then they start in their canoe paddling home. What happens to such people? If you block out the sunshine while you try to paddle through treacherous rivers, what happens? You die on the way home. You never make it home. And that's what people do today who ignore the light of Jesus Christ. They never make it home. They never make it to the promised land. Instead, they're sucked down into the depths of hell for all eternity. Are you paddling with a mask over your eyes? Jesus Christ has dawned. He certainly dawned in this building. I've proclaimed to you right here and now, you can't claim ignorance before God, that you never heard about Jesus Christ. I've proclaimed him right now to you. Are you paddling your canoe home with an eye mask firmly fixed on your face so you cannot see the sunshine of Jesus Christ. I urge you, follow Jesus today. Follow him and navigate through the darkness, through the dangers of this world, 
to heaven. Do it in the broad sunlight of Jesus Christ. If you truly listen to Jesus, you will see that he is indeed the light of the world, that his words are light indeed. And you don't need anyone else to tell you that Jesus is the light. It's lovely when other people do. When someone up the front like myself or other people that are gathered here today tell you and encourage you that Jesus is the light of the world, but ultimately you don't need them to testify. If you look carefully at the words of Jesus Christ, you will see that he is indeed the light of the world. Now, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, and we claim as Christians to trust in Jesus, are we truly navigating this world in his light, in the light of Christ? How do you know you are really living in the light of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the light of your world? How do you know? Well, are you navigating the dangers of this world with Christ's words? First and foremost, they're helping you to understand the dangers of this world. Are you navigating the little sins of this world? Think again to the canoeing illustration. You're in the Amazon, you're canoeing home on the river. Little sins are like little dips in the river. And if you go through enough of them, if you get enough of those little sins, you'll sink your boat. Enough splashes of water come in from a lot of little dips, you'll sink your canoe and you won't survive. Are you navigating the big sins of this world with Jesus as your light? Some sins are like waterfalls. They're so big, they're so dangerous that going over that one sin, that one waterfall, it's enough to ruin your canoe and you will not make it safely home. Do you navigate the little sins and the big sins of this world with Jesus Christ? What about the pleasures of this world? Do you navigate those with Jesus? There are many things to be enjoyed in this world and God richly blesses us with those. But even those pleasures need to be navigated with Jesus Christ. They're kind of like gold on the riverbank that's there as you're canoeing home and you see this gold, you see these precious, precious treasures and what do you do? You jump out and you heap as much gold into the canoe as possible and then you get back in and you sail and what happens? The canoe sinks because you've got so many good things in that canoe and you never make it home because you indulge in the pleasures of this world so it actually sank your canoe. What about the philosophies of this world? Are you navigating those? The wisdom that is held up by mankind as the way to live. Do you navigate those with Jesus Christ? Some of what it is very helpful some of it is very bad. They're like berries that you see on the side of the riverbank as you're there in your canoe and you get out and some of them you can eat and indulge in and some of them are downright poisonous and will kill you before you make it home. When you listen to the great philosophers of this world, do you evaluate them in the light of Jesus Christ, the light of the world? Do you navigate people in this world with Jesus Christ? Family, friends, work colleagues, strangers that you meet. Some people are like hostile jungle Indians with blowpipes, with poisonous darts. And they will take you down if you're not careful to evaluate them in the light of Jesus Christ. Then there's other people in this world who, if you look at them through Jesus Christ, you see that they're helpful to you. They're like fellow travellers on the river. 
and they can encourage you, exhort you to keep going, point you in the right direction. They may even help carry your burdens for you. Tow your canoe along at times. If you just look at them through Jesus Christ, you'll know who to trust and who to be very careful with. What about the false religions of this world? Do you navigate those with Jesus Christ? There are many religions out there. They all claim your attention. You look at them with the light of Jesus Christ. They're all like blind guides leading blind. You have to be very careful with those false religions that are out there. Every religion that comes along your path, you need to look at it in the sunshine of Jesus Christ or it is a danger that will suck you down and destroy you. Those false religions can be the end of many. Are you navigating sickness with Jesus Christ? When you get really unwell, you look at your illness in the light of Jesus Christ. You look at what he has to say about sickness and suffering. You look at the book of Psalms and see how fellow travellers navigated sickness with the light of Jesus Christ. Sickness can be like little holes in the boat, in the canoe, letting water in. Some of them can be such severe sicknesses that's like a big gash has been made in the canoe. And if you're not careful, if you don't look at it through the eyes of Jesus Christ, then you can sink your canoe. Fears and anxieties, do you look at those through Jesus Christ? All the great fears that we have, the things that make us anxious, they can paralyze you. The fears of many travellers along rivers, in canoes, have stopped them so that they do not continue any further because they're afraid of what is to come. There are many Christians who let fears paralyze them so they don't keep going on as they should. And there are some people who claim to be Christians and it's because of fears that they never make it to glory. And sadness, the sorrows of this world, do you navigate those with Jesus Christ? The depression that we can experience in this world like being stuck on a sandbank in your canoe. Get no further because of the sadness, the sorrow of this world. If you don't look at it through Jesus Christ, if you don't have the sunshine of Christ upon you, you're never going to get off that sandbank. What about the evil forces of this world? We never should forget those. Satan and his demons, they are a reality. And they're like crocodiles, venomous snakes, anacondas, That'll squeeze the life out of you if you don't look at Satan in the broad sunshine of Jesus Christ. If you don't meet those dragons, those crocodiles, those snakes with Christ, you're a goner. He's been doing it for years, for decades, for centuries, taking down pilgrims, people who are seeking to go to glory because they do not look in the broad sunshine of Jesus Christ. All these dangers, I've just listed some of them today, all of these can be navigated by Jesus Christ. You can actually make it past these things. I'm not saying that you'll never experience these things, but you can navigate them with Jesus Christ if you walk in his sunshine. Why? Because Christ is a sure guide. Why is Christ a sure guide? Because he's the light of the world. Why is he a sure guide? Because he's actually gone to heaven. He knows the way. And why is he a sure guide in navigating such dangers? Because he's navigated them himself. He was here on earth. He knows what it is to come head to head with Satan. He knows what it is to experience sorrow and sadness. He knows what it is to be tempted by little sins and big sins. He knows what it is to experience the pleasures of this world and not overindulge in them. He knows what it is 
to see false religion and to step around it and continue on his way to heaven. Jesus is the light of the world. And if you walk in his light, you can navigate all dangers of this world and make it safely home to heaven. When you look at your life, does Christ just navigate you on Sunday mornings or does he navigate you through the week as well? Do you walk in his sunshine every hour of every day of the week? If that is the case, then you have nothing to fear. You'll make it home to glory, to the promised land. You'll follow your guide safely in the broad sunshine and you will make it to heaven itself. You will navigate death itself. You'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death in broad sunshine because you walk in the light of the world. You walk in Jesus Christ. I think we could take a little bit of poetic license with Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace, at this point. We could modify it and rename it Amazing Jesus in the verse that says, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis Jesus that brought me safe thus far, and Jesus will lead me home. Are you walking in the light of Jesus Christ? If you can answer yes, then you will make it home. But if Jesus has little bearing on your life, he only has bearing on your life on Sunday mornings, you're obviously not paddling in the sunshine. And what does that mean? You're paddling in darkness. One of these dangers that I've listed today or another one that I haven't listed will suck you down one day to the depths of hell, to darkness for all eternity. Don't let that be. Come into the full light of the Son of Righteousness and follow him home with us to heaven. We are pilgrims here. Members of this church have affirmed that they are pilgrims walking home to heaven. Join with us, walk with us along the way. We are fellow travellers in our canoes, paddling towards glory. Join with us. Talk to someone this morning at morning tea. If you find that Christ has little bearing on your life, talk to someone at morning tea about how they've navigated the dangers of this world in the light of the world. And if you are a Christian, try and talk to someone this morning, even if it's another Christian. It's a good chance you're going to talk to other Christians here this morning rather than unbelievers. Talk to another Christian about how you have seen that Jesus is the light of the world because he has helped you navigate some little sin or some big sin or some pleasure or some worry, some anxiety, some fear, some depression, some false religion, some philosophy. You have been able to evaluate it in the light of Christ and have been able to avoid it as a great danger that would have sucked you down into hell and encourage them to continue to walk in the sunshine that is coming forth from the Son of Righteousness, Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Let's speak with Jesus ourselves now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the light of the world. We thank you for shining forth and guiding us to where you have gone ahead. You have gone into the promised land. You have gone to paradise. You are with the Father. You're sitting at his right hand and you guide us there now. Help us to go through our lives in your light. May there not be a part of our life where we do not walk in the sunshine, but may we use your guiding hand, your guiding light at all times 
to help us navigate the dangers of this world. Lord, we recognise you have navigated them successfully, that you never fell into any of the dangers of this world. And so, Lord, we pray that we would trust in you and that you would bring us into our heavenly home safe at last one day. We pray this in your name. Amen.